Well, who knows what today is on the church calendar? Tell somebody in the room also. What day is that on the church calendar? It is Pentecost Sunday um, on the church calendar. And I'm not sure if all of us really grasp the significance of what Pentecost Sunday commemorates. And so what I want to do today is I want to take some time to explain the significance of Pentecost Sunday and what it, what it looks back upon. But maybe more importantly, I want us to, to be open to and to be excited for what Pentecost, that first Pentecost made available to every single follower of Jesus Christ. That first Pentecost 2,000 years ago started something. And it, what it started hasn't stopped. And we're part of what it started, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. So, a little while. So what we're going to do today is I want us to consult the greatest New Testament historian from the Bible and see what he has to do to tell us about Pentecost Sunday. So if I was to ask you the question, if this was your Bible college quiz, and I was to say, tell me, in your opinion, who is the greatest New Testament what book writer in the New Testament, church historian, who would you say? Who would you say is a historian? You're right. It's Luke. So how did you know that? Because not long ago, we finished up a 24-week sermon series on the 24 chapters of Luke, and we learned something about Dr. Luke. Remember, Luke is a doctor, and he was writing the gospel of Luke in order to um, record accurately the life and the ministry of Jesus. But Luke's writings don't stop with the Gospel of Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, he does the same thing, um, is he records accurately um, the events, not now about Jesus, but since Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, he, so he starts there, and he takes it forward in the development of the New Testament church. So if you want to understand the early church and just prior to the early church, you read Luke to see what was the ministry of Jesus and then Acts. How did that affect the development of the church and the spread of Christianity around the world? So that's what Luke is. So Luke gives us, one thing we get from Luke is he gives special attention to the day of Pentecost, to what the church calendar is reminding us to commemorate today. So he gives special interest. So turn in your Bible to the very last chapter of Luke with me today. I'll give you a minute to find that or power up your phone or your iPad, and I want you to look it up, because here's the deal. I, I'm glad that you listen to me. I hope you trust me. Um, but I want you to be a person of God's Word. That's something we always stress around here. I want you to be a person who learns from the Word of God, because my job is not just to feed you. My job is to help you learn how to feed yourself. And so that's what we do. We model it every single week. How can you f- figure out what God is saying? Because the Holy Spirit's within you to help you learn. And so you, you uh, to at Luke chapter 24 now? Gave you enough time to get there? All right. Uh, Pastor Mitch is in, the, is in the sanctuary with me, and he nodded his head yes. He said, yes, I am at Luke 24. So look with me at Luke 24, the very end of Luke 24, starting in verse 44, and listen to what it says. Or look at what it says. It says, Now he said to them, and this is talking about Jesus, these are my words, or Jesus' words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, meaning before he was crucified, 
that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. I think that's one of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer, this is coming from the scriptures, he's saying, would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that, the, and that um, repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city, that's Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. So notice, Luke ends his letter, remember his historical letter about the life and ministry of Jesus. He ends his letter, his gospel of Luke, his very final words, of telling them, quoting Jesus, say, now listen, go to Jerusalem and wait until you are clothed with power from on high, and then he says, and then Jesus ascended and went up into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, turn your Bible to the first chapter of Acts. Okay, you get there, first chapter of Acts. And let's look at the first eight verses start. We're going to read a bunch of different sections um, in the next few minutes as we kind of set up the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, listen to what it says. The first account I composed, Theophilus, now what was that? The Gospel of Luke, the first account was the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he presented himself alive and suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And we'll stop right there for right now. Now notice something with me. Luke begins Acts exactly where he finished the Gospel of Luke. He ends by saying, listen, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And then he begins Acts and says, listen, and here's what they did. They went to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father. Verse 5 says that promise will be called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So he starts Acts off where he ends Luke. Now look at, now let's, let's flip ahead to chapter 2 of Acts. So I'm going to kind of take you through what's going on here and just kind of, not, not, not that the other stuff is filler, but just the highlights of this. Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, look what it says. So they're, they're, remember, they're now waiting in Jerusalem um, for the promise of the Father. And what happens here? 
And when the day of what? Of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So let's, there's 120 of them in the upper room. They're praying. They're waiting. What's this promise of the Father? Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So stop right there. As the 120 were gathered in the upper room, praying and waiting for what God said he would send, which I have to believe, they had absolutely no idea what that meant. They, their minds had been opened, but they didn't know because it had never happened before. What does he mean, this promise of the Father, this baptism in the Holy Spirit? They're waiting, and then on this celebration day, the day of Pentecost, we'll talk about that in a minute, this, this day of, of a national celebration in Israel, the day of Pentecost, the promise is fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit is poured out and fills them, and it says they all begin to... This, Fire rests on their head. They begin to speak in other tongues. They rush out into the street. And it's such an issue that it says in the the next verses that the people hear what's going on and they think they're drunk. And so the Spirit falls on them and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, right here I want to take a little little time out for a little side note because I want to fill you in on something, help you to understand something, that when you understand this, you're going to go, oh my goodness, there's such richness here. There's so much more going on here than maybe I understood. I want you to point out how the timing of this on the day of Pentecost is so significant and what it means to a better understanding of the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost was, as I said a minute ago, a national annual Jewish celebration. And it was, it was a commemoration that they did every single year of the, be, of the beginning of the harvest of barley. That Remember, these are agricultural. They lived by, by um, the harvest. And the day of Pentecost was also called the day of first fruits or the first fruit celebration. And it was the day they celebrated the first of the barley harvest that began to gather in. Remember, they didn't have the kind of equipment that Dave Brunkwell has. These people went out with baskets and sticks, and they, and they harvested their crops. So the heart barley harvest was this, this kind of extended process, and this was the very beginning when they would get the first fruit, the first harvest from the fields of barley. And it was called the day of Pentecost for a reason. Now think about this, Penta. Um, we have this building in America called the Pentagon. Why is it called the Pentagon? You know? It's because how many sides does it have? A pentagram has five points. Penta means five. So the de- Pentecost was the celebration of the beginning of the Harley's Festival, uh, uh, harvest, um, the barley harvest, 50 days, Penta, 50 days after the annual celebration of the Passover. So you had the Passover, and we'll get to that in a second, the Passover, and then 50, Penta, 50 days later, they celebrated the first fruits, the beginning of the barley harvest. So it's 50 days after the Passover. And let's now think about this. What's the significance of the Passover? Because it ties in here. What's the significance of the Passover? The Passover was another annual Jewish celebration, and it commemorated 
the day that the death angel passed over the homes of the Hebrews, the Jewish people living in slavery in Egypt. As you remember, the Jews lived in, they became slaves in Egypt, and the Pharaoh um, wouldn't let them go. Moses shows up, and Aaron, let my people go, and they won't go. So God sends 10 plagues on, Israel, on, on Egypt trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. The 10th one was the death of the firstborn children. And the way the scripture says it happened is a death angel um, came over and every place, every home that had listened to what Moses said had killed a spotless lamb, slaughtered it, eaten it, and then taken the blood of the lamb and take something called hyssop, like a plant, and take in the blood and put it on the doorposts outside their house the angel would then come and pass over every home that had blood on its doorposts. So Passover was a celebration, how the angel passed over, and how when the house that didn't have that blood, the firstborn of every single household died as a result of the tenth plague. So, now remember something. So there's the Passover. It's the celebration, the commemoration of the angel passing over and the Jewish people being set free, delivered from Egypt, and now, kind of like our 4th of July, and now 50 days later is Pentecost, the celebration of the first ingathering of the fruit from the fields, from the barley fields. Now, think of something else before I kind of tie this all together for us. Remember that in Luke 24, Jesus said that when he was explaining things, he opened the people's minds, the disciples' minds, so they could understand how the Old Testament, law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms, all foretold who Jesus is and what he would do. Now, these two celebrations, Passover and Pentecost, help us understand exactly what Jesus said. Before this time, Passover was simply a celebration of the I shouldn't say simply, but a celebration of the death angel passing over. And Pentecost is the celebration of the first fruits of the barley festival. But Jesus opens up their mind, and now we understand that the Passover isn't ultimately about the death angel passing over Egypt, and Pentecost isn't ultimately about the first fruits of the barley festival. Once we understand Jesus and he opens our mind, then we can look back at what the Old Testament says, the prophets and the Psalms and, and the law of Moses, we can look back at it and realize there's greater fulfillment, that it was looking forward. Those events were strategically designed by God to foreshadow what would happen in Jesus. So as we look back, we realize that the Passover was also foreshadowing the ministry of Jesus. And as Christians, we look back and we go, oh my goodness, this is about Christ. Because why? Jesus was and is the Spirit the perfect, um, sinless, spotless lamb that was sacrificed. And his blood applied to our lives takes us from death to spiritual life. And we, when we come to Christ, we have um, new life, eternal life in Christ. So, the, so death passes over us. And that in Christ, we are released from the bondage, the slavery of sin. And in the Old Testament, uh, Egypt always represents a life of sin and bondage and release from that. So in Christ, we understand that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And all of this, this whole Passover, 
overshadowed or foreshadowed Jesus means and Jesus brings bringing Jesus brings the ultimate fulfillment to the meaning of the Passover. Does that make sense? So, now think of it in terms of Pentecost because here's where we're going. All you're going to go, "Oh my goodness, now I really understand what Pentecost is all about." So Pentecost, remember, celebrated what? The first fruits of the barley harvest. So pre-Jesus, it's foreshadowing Jesus, but before you have Jesus, you, you don't know yet, but what's that saying about Jesus and the church? And so Pentecost celebrated the first fruits of the barley harvest, but we understand now a much greater fulfillment once we understand the ministry of Jesus and his church. So let's see what this is. In Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read, it says that Peter preaches a sermon to a crowd that are gathered there. They all think he's drunk, and he tells them what's going on. And in that sermon, he explains that what is going on is the promise of the Father that he said he would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. So look at chapter 2. Look at verses 15 through 18. Look what it says here. So this is Peter's sermon. He says, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So prophet Joel was looking forward and saying, there's a fulfillment coming. They didn't understand what it was, but he said, someday in the future, you're gonna, it's going to make sense to you. And it shall be, verse 17, in the last days, God says, that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, in, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So in this sermon, he explains that the promise of the Father is coming, that, that, that it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then look what happens. So he says, listen, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, and he tells them that, and then look what happens as a result. Look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. It says, now then, they heard this, this sermon that Peter just preached, and we just read part of it, saying, this is that, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And, and many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And now look at verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So look what happens here. The people hear Peter's sermon. They, they, they see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these 120 rushing into the streets, speaking in other languages, um, glorifying Jesus, they hear his sermon, they understand from his sermon and parts that we didn't read that Jesus was the crucified Son of God, that they had been part in having him crucified, that they were, that they were in essence guilty of his crucifixion, that God had then raised him from the dead, proving that he is God himself. And then what happens, verse 41, 
3,000 people received Jesus and are baptized. 3,000 people get saved. Now think about something. Do you understand the significance? Do you understand the fulfillment? Remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. And now Pentecost. What is the fulfillment that we see of the day of Pentecost? The promise, or the celebration rather, of the first fruits of the barley harvest. And all of a sudden, what do we have? Pentecost is a celebration of first fruits. This is the beginning of the first fruits of the church of Jesus Christ. In one day, 3,000 souls come into relationship with Jesus. 3,000 are saved. It's the first fruits of an eternal, long not eternal, of a, of a harvest of humankind on earth. The reason God chose to pour out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the reason He had designed Pentecost in the first place, was to say, there's a day coming when a new harvest is going to begin. And the first fruits of the harvest is on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people saved. Pentecost's ultimate fulfillment is the beginning of the countless people coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. The day of Pentecost is the birth date, the birthing of the church's harvest. It's when the harvest of souls began. And the harvest that began on Pentecost is still happening today. There might be some of you watching this today. Maybe a friend invited you to watch or you're sitting with someone who's watching it. You're saying, I don't really want to watch church today, but they have the remote. And you're sitting there and here's the deal. You know something about you. You know that you're not in a right relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm just saying you know who is Lord of your life and you're Lord of your life and, and God isn't. And God says, I've got a better way for you. I offer you, not me, God offers you eternal life. And he said, not only that, I want to offer you a life filled with the Spirit of God so you can have the strength and the power to live the life he calls you to live. Overcome all that garbage in your life. Experience the joy of sins forgiven. All of that you get when you come to Christ. You, you lose something too. You lose sin. You lose you having to know what to do and where to go because God now becomes your Lord and Savior. And you come under his rule and under his reign and under his protection. You rest in him and you follow him. That's what becoming a Christian is. And it's start the harvest of souls. People coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord, receiving forgiveness of sins and living a life with him as Lord started on the day of Pentecost. And it continues today, right here in your living room, your bedroom, your car, wherever you are today. So you can say yes to Jesus today and enter into that harvest of literally billions of people who have for 2,000 years said yes to Jesus. So Pentecost is a celebration of first fruits. At one time, it simply meant the first fruits of the barley harvest, but today... It means the first fruits, the fullness of it, the first fruits of people coming to know Jesus. And that harvest has continued on now for 2,000 years. We don't know how long it's going to continue on. Jesus said, no man knows how long it's going to No man knows the seasons or the epochs. The Father could say, today before I'm done preaching, and I would say, bring it on, God. 
Before I'm done preaching, you could say, blow the trumpet and say, the second coming of Christ. And we could, we could see a new heaven and a new earth. And those who know Christ would be with him for eternity. Friends, the harvest is going on every time a person says yes to Jesus. Now, let's take what we've just learned and apply some things about Pentecost to our lives because you're going to see the significance of this in your life and how it can be significant in your life. Pentecost reveals to us um, not only the, the fulfillment of this historical understanding, this historical celebration called the celebration of Pentecost, but it also reveals to us some really important realities about Christian living and God's plan to bring people into a saving relationship with Him. And I want to, there's a bunch, but I want to point out three rather quickly um, in our sermon here today. So here's the first thing that Pentecost um, reminds us about, and it's this, makes available to us. It's this, that all of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That every single person who's a child of God wanting to live the way that God wants you to live, the kind of life he has for you, every single one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, Luke made it perfectly clear that the early church was not to do anything until he said they received power from on high, until he said they were filled with the Spirit, the promise of the Father. Now think about something with me for a minute. There was 120 people he was speaking to. The 12, and then a little over 100 more followers of Jesus. This 120, and particularly the 12, had walked with Jesus for three years. One of them was his own mother. They'd walked, his brother James was maybe there at the time. They'd walked with Jesus for three years, the three years of his ministry. They'd seen his miracles. They had personally, the 12, ministered powerfully by the power of Jesus that he'd gave, given to them. Um, it says they had personally cast out demons and healed the sick. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They had seen Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. If any group of people on the entire planet in all of human history, you would think would have been completely well equipped to spread the message of Jesus around the world, you would have think it would have been that 120 people. But God knew, listen to me, God knew they didn't have what they needed to do the ministry he was asking them to do. God knew they didn't have what they needed to live the Christian life that he was offering to them. They may have had knowledge, they may have had experience, but they lacked the power required because the power required to live in the Christian life only comes through the fullness of of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost reminds us that God never intended for us to live the Christian life or accomplish the Christian mission by our own ingenuity or our own ability. We, every single one of us, needs the Holy Spirit's presence and power to live the Christian life. See, friends, Christianity is not about self-effort. Just self-effort in a religious realm is just religion. It's do's and don'ts that you try really hard to do and you try really hard not to do and you fail and you say I'm a failure and this doesn't work. That's just empty dead religion. But Christianity is about coming into an, into a relationship with Jesus, being filled with his spirit, 
and having an ongoing, continual transformation and empowerment by the abiding presence of God's reality through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we welcome Him into our lives, and we partner with His activity in our lives. That's what spirit living, spiritfulness is all about. The relationship with God that's available to us is a relationship of the fullness of the Spirit. The reality of the relationship is spiritfulness. That's what the relationship with the triune God is all about. It's having the reality of the triune God by the Spirit that was poured out live within you, and you live in conjunction and in partnership with the presence of the Spirit within your life. That's what he offers to every single That's what Pentecost reminds us of. And that point, this first point, that we need to be filled with the Spirit, leads us to the second point, and it's this. The Holy Spirit empowers us when he fills us to accomplish the mission of God through us. Now, we just read a minute ago Acts 1.8, but let me remind you about what it says. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. We receive power to be witnesses. The power you need to be a witness, which a witness is what? Someone who helps someone else understand about Jesus. Somebody who's telling them about Christ, but not just telling them, that is showing them the reality of Jesus so that they can come into relationship with Jesus. The power you need to be a witness only comes from the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about something, because I think sometimes we have a way too small of a view about what this means. Think about something. What power do you and I need to be witnesses, to represent Christ in a way that people will see and understand Jesus and come into relationship? What power do we need? Well, I know, number one, I need a power to live a godly life. Um, You say, well, no, witnessing is just saying something. Oh, no, it's not. Um, You say more by how you live than by what you say. The first part about being a witness is living the kind of life that Jesus said we should live. And so the power to live a godly life comes from the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way I can live the kind of life God wants me to live is by the strength of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The way to say no to sin and yes to righteousness is because God puts his spirit in us and empowers us to become somebody different than we were. That's the power, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need that to be witnesses. What else do we need? We need the power to love people who are hard to love. Some people, it might be you, you may be the hard to love person, but God may also call you to love somebody who's hard to love. Somebody who's hard to love that Jesus absolutely loves and died for. How can you love a hard-to-love person? One way. The abiding power and presence of the Holy Spirit. God begins to put His heart within you, and His heart even cares about and loves the unlovely. Because we're all unlovely. So how do I witness to somebody that everybody else would ignore, everybody else would overlook, everyone else would marginalize? It's because of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit within you who shows you that person and puts a love in your heart for that person that no one else seems to have on their own. 
That's the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the witnessing power of the Holy Spirit. What else do we need? We need the power to sacrifice for others. You know, it's not natural to sacrifice for others. It's not natural to put others. Um, it says about Jesus, he preferred others ahead of himself. And that we should be like Jesus and prefer others ahead of ourselves. How do I do that? Just through self-effort? No. I do it by the abiding reality and presence of the Holy Spirit within me. I become more like Jesus. And then I will naturally gravitate towards preferring others. A selfish person is a person who's not living a spirit-filled life. A self-centered person, always about them, their needs, their wants, is a person who's not living in the spirit-filled life. The spirit-filled life makes us more like Jesus. How do I become a witness to a, to a person? By sacrificing, by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All these things, the power to pray effectively for the sick is the reality of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The power to have the courage to speak. Some of you say, but I'm so bashful. That's okay. God's not. And His Spirit within you will give you a courage that you've never had. It comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The power to speak God's wisdom in situations. There's times that the only answer to a situation that will touch a person's life and make them aware of the reality of God is when God speaks through you or me in a situation and says, I don't know how I know this, but God's asking me or telling me to say this to you. What do you and they go, how do you know that? How does that happen? It happens because the Holy Spirit is filling you, is in you, and he's ministering through you. That's the life of the Spirit-filled child of God. The power to go. God says, go and take my message, witness around the world, the power, the strength to leave your family, to leave and go and do impossible things is the reality of the Spirit-filled life. God never asked you to do those things by your own strength. He asked you to do everything only by the power of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All of this is the activity of the Holy Spirit. It's what God wants to do through you, and none of it. None of it is contingent upon your own natural abilities. We so often think ministry, witnessing, whatever, is about my natural abilities, about your natural abilities. So we say, oh, Pastor Mark, it's easy for you. Look at you, you're an extrovert. I'm the dyslexic who was afraid to stand in front of a crowd my entire life, who, who didn't do a school play when I was a kid because I had one word in the play. It was poi, and I didn't even know what the word was. I couldn't pronounce it. And so I, I, I skipped school in order to not have to do one word in a play. How can I stand up in front of a crowd? Not that I'm the great example, but I'm telling you, it's by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God didn't ask us to minister by our natural abilities. I don't have any natural abilities, very few. How do we do it? It's all the result of the empowerment and the transformation of the Spirit of God within you. God does His ministry through you. He empowers you. He does it when we surrender to Him. Now, lest you say, well, maybe God can do those things for you, Pastor Mark. Maybe He can do them for Pastor Mitch. Maybe He can do them for anybody else. He can do those things for you, but not for me. You don't know me. Let me take you to the third point that Pentecost reminds us of. The third point is this. The Spirit's presence and power is available to every follower of Jesus. Look back at Acts chapter 2. First of all, look at verses 17 and 18. Then we're going to read that read another section. 17 and 18, it says this. And it shall be in the last days, God says, now it didn't say Mark says, it says God says, that I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind, 
And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, now flip over to chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Listen, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Whomever God calls to himself, this promise is available to. The promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, every one of us. It says, in the last days which is a time between Jesus' ascension and his return. God has poured out his spirit for all flesh. And he says, who can be filled? He says, sons and daughters, young and old, men and women, slaves and free. Anyone who opens their life to the Holy Spirit can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter said, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God calls to himself. That's every person who has given their life to Jesus in response to the calling of God, which is every person who has come into the harvest from the day of first fruits, the day of Pentecost, the starting of that harvest. Every person is coming because God has called them. No one's coming on their own. Everyone's coming because God has pulled them in. God has called their name. And so this promise is for every single person who's a follower of Jesus Christ. The Spirit-filled life isn't just for a pastor. It's not just for a missionary. It's just not for that special church person who's the prayer warrior. The Holy Spirit's filling is available to all of us to empower all of us. So what do we do? We open up our lives. We ask. We say, Holy Spirit, I welcome all of your fullness into my life. I, I want to I have all of you in my life. Fill me. And refill me and keep on filling me with your presence. Friends, that's the message of Pentecost. That's what we commemorate on this day. Yes, 2,000 years ago it was still a celebration of barley. But let me tell you, now it's a celebration of every single person who comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, enters into the family of God. The first started then, and it's going on now for 2,000 years. I don't know how much longer it's going to go on, but it's going on today, right now. You can say yes to Jesus. Now we're going to end in a wonderful way. One thing we've been doing, we've been celebrating communion together every single week of this whole pandemic. And... I said we're going to do it because it's a great way for us, although we're separated by distance, to be joined together in the reality of celebrating and welcoming the presence of Christ into our lives. And I'm thinking today, so this is probably the last day I'll be doing this with just a handful of people in this room. Next time we do this, on the 7th, we're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to be doing it in person, all of us together. But for today, what a great way on Pentecost Sunday 
to understand the significance of Jesus, the significance of Passover. Jesus shed his blood. His body was broken like the lamb. His blood was applied to the doorposts so the death angel would pass over. So he could become our Savior and Lord. He could die in our place. And Pentecost. It's the, it's the first fruits of celebration of all the people who come into the kingdom. And we get to say, you know what? We can be, we come into the kingdom, we can be in active relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus can be our Savior. And we hold these, these elements in our hands that say to us, God is this real and this near. And we can invite him in. You can invite in Christ into your life. And you can invite the fullness of the Holy Spirit into your life today. So grab those elements, the bread and the cup. Juice for us, juice, wine, grab that right now. Let's, let's celebrate. Father, you gave us your son. And you gave us this way of remembering who Jesus is and what he does. And that we can welcome Christ to be our Lord and our Savior. That, Lord, we examine our lives and communion causes us to do that. Examine ourselves and to say, you know what? I'm maybe not where I need to be, but today I want to be where I need to be. I want to be in the right relationship with God. And as I walk with him, I want to live in holiness and, and purity. And so today, Lord, I cast off everything that doesn't belong. I repent. I turn away from it. And I say, I'm turning towards you, Jesus, right now. And I want to live a life in the fullness of your presence. You've never asked Christ in your life. Ask Jesus right now to come into your life. Right now, say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me your child. Make me your one in the family of God. We welcome the presence. Let's hold this, this bread that says, this is my body broken for you. Let's say, God, now, we welcome you into our lives. Let's participate together. Then Jesus took the cup after supper, a cup of wine saying, this is my blood poured out for you. And on today, the day that we talked about Passover, the blood, the blood of Christ washes us clean. Pentecost, 50 days later, the promise of the harvest coming in and the fullness of the Spirit. The harvest only comes in through the fullness of the Spirit. That's why God said, wait, and that day I pour out my Spirit. Today we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit in all His strength and all His fullness into our lives. And I was praying something today before the service. And I don't know God going to do whatever God wants to do. But I said, God, it would be so amazing as people sat in their homes participating in service today that as we took communion we invited the Spirit's presence you begin to fill and refill people with the Spirit. 
they just have this amazing experience of your presence and your power. And that no one could say it's because some pastor coerced them or some worship team hyped them up because you're in your homes. And as you open up your hearts, you say, Holy Spirit, come into my life in all your fullness on this Pentecost Sunday. Fill me, refill me. I want to be a witness for you. I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch us today. Fill us today on this Pentecost Sunday. So take it, God. Lord, we welcome all of your presence and your promises into our life. And on Pentecost, we remember the promise of the fullness of your Spirit. And we say today now, fill us to overflowing with your presence. Let's welcome the presence of the Spirit into our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are real and you are powerful and you are present and that you are available. You're not far off, but you said, Jesus, it was better that you ascended to the Father because then you would send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he wouldn't just be with us, he'd be in us. So Lord, now stir up your presence within us, fill us with your presence, and make us the witnesses that you want us to be. Work through us. Help us see the most important thing in our life is walking with you and inviting other people to know you. Father, change us. Change us, mold us, shape us by the indwelling presence of your Spirit. We're open to your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful Pentecost Sunday. Welcome the presence of the Lord. Live in His presence and be open to what He wants to do that's beyond your natural abilities. He wants to bring wholeness and health and healing into your life so that you can be an effective witness, shining in the darkness, shining with all the fear around us because what's going on with this pandemic as a child of God, full of spirit, you stand in confidence knowing that the Lord is holding you in the palm of his hand and that you can love people because of his love. Friends, have a wonderful day. Next week, God willing, we'll be together, many of us together at Portview Church. Until then, know we're praying for you. We love you. If you have a need, let the church know. Call us, email us, text us. Let us know. So we can be praying for your help however we can. We love you, church. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.